you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth on wednesdays at 4 p.m eastern time i go live on facebook to share my design tips to answer your questions to talk about what's going on in my world. Well, I not only share it on Facebook, now I'm going to be sharing it on my podcast. So today you will be hearing a recording of my most recent Facebook Live. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Let's get to your delicious questions and kick it off with Kendra. Hi, Betsy. I'm really enjoying hearing your perspectives and wondered what you think about a combined bedroom workspace. I currently have my sewing area within the master bedroom where we have the most space available for it, but I wonder to what extent a desk or workspace can fit within a restful bedroom. Thanks, Kendra. I'm glad to hear that it's your sewing. Because maybe that's a hobby for you, Kendra, or maybe it's even a hobby business. But as long as it doesn't stress you out, produce a lot of anxiety, or my hesitation is produce a lot of clutter, because I know sewing, depending on what you're making, can involve a lot of loose threads, a lot of fabric scraps, which can create clutter and chaos, which isn't restful in a bedroom. But if it's more of that hobby business, if it's something that you do to relax, and if you're quite tidy, well, I am completely on board with it being in your bedroom because it just makes sense. As you said, you have the most space for it there. And with a lot of my clients, whether it's a small home or an apartment, rooms have to do double duty. It's just not practical to think that each room could only do one thing because that's really not how our lives operate these days. We're doing lots of things and we don't necessarily go to work in an office or have that separate basement for our hobbies. If it were going to be more of a workspace, say we're going to have a printer or a fax machine. Do people fax anymore? Is that a thing? Say it was going to be something that was somewhat stressful for you. Well, I'd rather you not have it in the bedroom area, especially if you guys have any sleep issues, if there's any insomnia or anything like that. Well, it can exacerbate those problems. My preference would be for that to be in a living area. 
Um, or if it can't be in a living area, if it were a true workspace, perhaps it's a secretary desk that can fold down when you're working at it, but fold up and conceal the chaos when you're sleeping. Maybe even it has a hutch on top or bottom, which is just a cabinet that's attached. So that way you could conceal those extra ink cartridges, that computer paper, and any files. So I would like you to be able to tuck it away or get a desk that has plenty of storage. Because outside of just the general clutter, well, work has associations for us that can be stressful. And that stress, not being able to release that energy at the end of the day by just relaxing in a separate space, well, can impact your entire life. Additionally, if you don't have a desk that has good storage, I'm going to see all your cords. So even if you are tidy, even if you can wrangle all the stuff, well, your cords are still going to be dripping down the back. Whereas if you have a desk with one storage column or ideally two, one on either side, you can corral those cords so that they go behind the storage component. That's my wish for you, Kendra. I hope that your desk or sewing workspace meets some of those requirements in order for you to get that good night's sleep. So let me segue to my next question. And while I do, let me just put out there, guys, there's nothing I love more than a live question. So come on in. Let me know what you're thinking about. Let me know your design challenges and try and stump me. Meanwhile, let me get back to my mailbag. My next question is, hi, Betsy, how are you? I hope your 2018 is going great. I love, love, love your podcast and figured it wouldn't hurt to ask nicely for a little bit of advice. I've been trying to inhale as many decorating tips as I possibly can, but I'm lost. My partner and I are moving to a new rental place, which comes furnished, and it made the most financial sense for us as we don't own any furniture, and this furnished house is the same price as all the other unfurnished houses we've seen. As you can imagine, there were some, um, unfortunate choices by the current landlord. I'm learning not to call things ugly, as I believe my perspective is negative right from the bat. So do you have any advice on how we could brighten up and liven up the style of this space with the not-so-nice walls and the not-so-nice carpets and the not-so-nice seating and the not-so-nice dining? I don't want to paint the walls yet, maybe in six months if we decide to stay more long-term, but I'm excited about DIYs like upholstering the footstool and possibly upcycling some furniture like a sideboard. What colors could we introduce there? My favorite styles are Scandinavian and mid-century modern, but I understand and I might need a slightly different canvas to really pull that off. Your advice would be hugely appreciated, Bera. Bera, you're right. You can't just impose mid-century modern on a place that's already going in a completely different direction. You really need to take your cues from what's there. And I know this from experience because most of the clients that we work with already have items that they want to reuse. Betsy, we're keeping the couch. Betsy, we're keeping all the case goods. Betsy, we're actually keeping everything. I just want you to fold in the finishing touches. And sometimes those pieces don't align with what I had in terms of a vision for the space, or they wouldn't have been the items I would have selected, but I make it work. And you're in that same situation, be it a little bit different, where we have to make things work that you would like to change, but you're just not there yet. So I would let that mid-century modern style go if it's not reflective of what's currently happening in the space. And instead, I would focus on these other choices. So my thoughts would be, Potentially, there's some things, 
maybe this house has a basement that you could roll up and store and swap out some more affordable pieces. The things I'm thinking of primarily are the textiles, like the throw pillows. First of all, it doesn't feel so fresh to have other people's used throw pillows. Second of all, you can buy throw pillows for as little as $19 on Target or Wayfair. So that seems to me a really quick shortcut to getting some cute things that feel more personal, more fresh, and they can be eye-popping. So when people come over, they're not looking at the sad end table or the slightly used coffee table. Rather, they're looking at those eye-catching moments. So pillows are a quick and easy way to get that done. Another quick way to get that done rather affordably is with rugs. Rugs are like huge pieces of art for your floor, and they're much more affordable than a piece of art. You can really set the foundation. You can really set the color palette by bringing in a new rug. So maybe those old carpets that they have could be rolled up and put downstairs because, again, textiles that are used, be it bedding, drapes, rugs, they don't feel fresh. And let's just be frank, they don't feel clean. They feel like they have other people's dust particles in them. And we know dust is made of skin cells. I mean, we won't go down this rabbit hole, but that's gross. Ideally, your landlord would be on board with you swapping out that rug and it would create very interesting visual impact and also make the space feel a little bit newer. Some other ideas are changing out the art, and if you don't want to put holes, well, you can get those amazing 3M strips on Amazon.com. They can hold a lot of weight. You can buy them per weight. So you could hang something framed. You could hang something on canvas. You could even cover holes from their previous art, and if it is on canvas, maybe the current piece that you're buying could fit right over the piece that's already there. I would also consider some warm colors. Oftentimes when things feel dingy or used, your space can feel a little bit unapproachable. So incorporating colors like red, orange, or yellow can make a space that doesn't necessarily feel inviting much cozier. I think those are my immediate impressions for you. But like I was saying, if you have interesting rugs, if you have interesting bedding, if you have interesting art, things that are particularly eye-catching, well, then I'm not going to pay attention to those things that are less eye-catching. The queen-size bed whose headboard is nicked. The bedside tables that, you know, I don't know, paint is chipping? Who knows? The one thing that I don't love, Vera, when I was reading your message is I don't love a DIY Sometimes it looks craptastic, especially if you don't have a good place to actually do the DIY, like refinish the sideboard. Additionally, I'm a little bit worried that if you did recover that footstool, that your landlord would be upset that you've changed something that he or she has brought in. So you may not even be able to do that. Um, I would rather you just put that in the garage and get a new piece rather than recovering it and not getting your deposit back. So I hope that helped. Keep me posted on what you decide to do. I would love to hear how this new place works out, even for the short time that you're there. I have a live question that came in. Kara, I always love getting questions for you from you. So thanks for sending some more. Let's see what you put. Hi, Betsy. What items in a room do you generally recommend be statement pieces? I'm interested in getting a floor lamp that would make quite a statement in my living room. Hello. I don't know what that means. I wish you could insert an image, Kara, because what does quite a statement mean? I'm intrigued, afraid, interested, excited. 
So you asked about what items should make a statement, and I think lamps are a perfect item to make a statement. Why is that? Because they light themselves up. They basically draw attention to themselves saying, look at me, I'm illuminated. They have a spotlight on them by their very nature. Lamps are a perfect place to do something with a sculptural base, to do something with a bright color, to do something with an unexpected shade. And you know that unexpected shades that have patterns or different textures are on trend for 2018. I think it's the perfect place to put a little bit of money. And by a little bit, I mean you really can just spend a little bit because lamps can be so affordable. I love looking at Lamps Plus for an amazing selection. Build.com has really nice lamps and light fixtures. West Elm has always got me intrigued with what they've got going on. And I also really love World Market. And with World Market, you can mix and match the bases with the shades, but it's very affordable and pretty much a no-brainer. They have one size shade for table lamps and one size shade for floor lamps. So you just mix and match within their um, options. And they have quite a few. So I hope that helped, Kara. Oh, you wrote, it's a rather bold-looking columnar, I, I don't know how to say that. Is that a word? Columnar? Brass lamp. Well, I think I know what you're talking about because Restoration has those column brass lamps, as does Crate and Barrel. And if I'm thinking of the same one, it may have a glass column and inside is that brass piece. And I think that those look really classy. Sometimes they're quite large. So that's something to keep in mind in terms of the scale of the other furniture because they can look a little oversized. A standard height for a floor lamp is around 55 to 60. So if it's higher than 60 inches, it feels really big. And if it's less than 55, it might feel kind of small, more like a task lamp for an armchair rather than a big lamp next to a sofa. The other thing to keep in mind with sizes is, of course, the diameter of the lamp, which you would consider being the shade's diameter. And a good size diameter for a lamp is between 15 and 18. Anything over 18 inches wide is a very broad lamp, and anything under 18 is nice and narrow. So I hope that helps, Kara. Happy shopping, and feel free to cut and paste an image. I want to see what you're working with here. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Now let's go to my next question, which is from Lan. 
Hi, Betsy. I really enjoy your podcast. I'm looking at outdoor rugs for my patio. Do the same rules apply for outdoor rugs as indoor rugs in seating areas? Thanks, Lan. Lan, not always. With outdoor rugs, unlike indoor rugs, you really can't pick the pile height. Pile height means the plushness or how thick the rug is. Most outdoor rugs are polypropylene or some derivative, which means that they are nylon or plastic and they're very thin. Whereas in a home, I'm going to recommend that you get a half inch to a quarter inch pile somewhere in between there. Outside, you're going to have a quarter inch pile or less. So that's one thing that's not the same. The other thing that's not the same is you know that in a home, I'm recommending a highly patterned rug because it camouflages stains. Whereas outside, those rugs are meant to immediately wash off when there's stains. So you don't generally have that same issue. You could get a solid blue or a solid green and hose it down and you wouldn't see the stains like you would with an indoor rug that you can't take a sponge to or a hose to. Something else to consider Well, the price points are very different outside. You'll have a much more affordable selection outside, and I even love bringing an outside rug in. Certainly under a dining table is the perfect place for an outdoor rug because as my client told me yesterday, Betsy, I have an outdoor rug and I can spill marinara sauce on it, I can spill my wine on it, and it mops up like a dream. That is one of the big pros of the outdoor style rugs, as well as that lower price point. But the one thing that you do want to keep in mind that is the exact same as an indoor rug is the larger the rug, the bigger that patio area is going to look. So make sure that all the major pieces of seating, the armchairs, the lounge chairs, the Adirondack chairs, are at least partially on that rug. So you're defining the seating area outdoors as separate from the dining area, which would be under that table. Speaking of table just while I'm here. When you're selecting a rug for under your table, you want to measure the table and then add 24 to 36 inches on each side. That way, when you pull your chair out, your chair is not half on, half off the rug. So that way, when you tuck it in, it doesn't bubble the rug up. So yesterday, my client was saying, Betsy, how big should my dining room rug be? And it's a very simple mathematical equation. Just add 24 to 36 inches all the way around, and that's your rug size. So Lan, I hope that helped. And I have an update from Kara. Kara, let's see. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Um, That's a nice lamp that you found at Target, especially because Crate and Barrel has a very similar lamp for an exponentially higher price point. I love it. I love the marble base. I am interested, but it looks like it's going to be tall. So check out the size on that and make sure that the piece that it's next to can really stand up to a tall lamp. Let me go to my next question which is, hi, Betsy, I am a fan of yours and I can't get enough of your podcast. You mentioned that you are an inspiring designer and a newlywed and you continue to write, we are updating our new home a little at a time. I'm studying your book, which I absolutely love, Big Design, Small Budget, and I'm trying to pick wall colors, but I am stuck. We've only just begun this home transformation. It's in fairly decent shape and the paint has made all the difference. But our living room, we but in our living room, excuse me, we chose a mid-level to dark teal. Instead of an accent wall, I took your advice and I did all four walls. We are a very outgoing couple and felt it matched our personalities well. We have 1,800 square feet. 
and every room is separated by a door or archway. From the front of the house goes our living room, sitting room with a bay window, dining room, then kitchen. Our sitting room has an office off to the side with an open archway. How do we tie these rooms together? Do we have to stay with new, cool, neutral colors for the whole floor? Help! Thank you, Hannah. Hannah, thank you for being a fan, for getting my book. I'm so glad you're finding it to be helpful. And I have a brand new book. Well, it's not brand new, but it'll have all new pictures, refreshed tips, a new title, and it's coming out in um, the end of 2018. So keep an eye out for it in December. But back to your question. You have gone with a really strong color for that living room, and I think it's very exciting. That being said, it's hard to continue that strong tone throughout, especially in rooms where you may want to have a different experience, like an office where you may need to get right down to work rather than feel social and bubbly and outgoing. So since the space is open, I do want you to keep the color palette consistent through all the open spaces. If there's rooms on the second floor where you can't see that bold teal room, well, those can have their own color identity. But on that main floor where everything opens up to each other, there needs to be a relationship. I need to cohesively understand that yes this room relates to this room but they're different and the way that we can do that is we can take that 60 30 10 color palette that you have derived from your inspiration piece so as an aspiring excuse me designer Hannah I think that you have already selected a really amazing inspiration piece from which you have derived three colors and ideally those three colors would not all be cool ideally one of them would be warm maybe even two of them are warm so that you are focusing on teal navy and magenta or teal navy and yellow ochre those third colors that I mentioned being the ones that are warm now, since you have done that, I'm sure, then in those other areas like the office, the sitting area, the dining area, you'll flip that 60-30-10 on its head. Now, that dark teal is obviously the 60% accent color because it's on the walls, and that is very large in terms of an element or visual square footage. So that's your 60% in that room. And let's just say your 30% was navy and your 10% was the yellow ochre. Well, when we're transitioning into that sitting area, office area, maybe we flip it a little bit. Maybe we get serious with our 60% navy, meaning maybe we have a navy desk. Maybe we have a navy bookcase or even drapes that are navy. And then our 30% in that room could be the yellow ochre. So it truly feels very different. And maybe we have a yellow ochre rug with some yellow ochre bookends and a yellow ochre poof at the base of an armchair. And then our 10% are those pops of deep teal that coordinate with the wall paint from the living area. So maybe that's in the desk chair or maybe it's in bookends or a piece of art. But just these small touches that bring that color into this room but aren't the main event in this room. And then, of course, as you go to the other rooms, you just flip it again. So in that dining area, our 60% would be the yellow ochre. Our 30% could be the navy and our 10% could be the teal. Or we could make the 30% the teal and the 10% the navy as you wish. But I hope that helped, Anna, because that's going to help keep things the same while feeling different. 
I have time for one more question today because I'm just on a roll. I'm on a roll. So let's get to Natalie's question. Hi, Betsy. Greetings from Chicago. Thank you for your great advice. I'm sorry to hear your year has been too busy. I hope it is getting more manageable now. Guys, my year has been very busy. And sometimes you can feel so overwhelmed and so stressed by that. For instance, I have six clients this week. They invigorate me. I can't wait to meet and work with each and every one. But when you add that to admin tasks and just general mom tasks, sometimes it can feel overwhelming. The exciting thing about all this is that I'm busy, so it's a blessing and a curse because I would certainly feel worse if we weren't busy, if the phones weren't ringing, if the emails weren't coming in, so it's all relative, and I'm feeling really good, Natalie. You know I was supposed to have that extra New Year's Day where I was going to reset everything and start a new perspective because I've had such a funky 2018. Well, I did not get around to it. I tell you what, if it's not really on the calendar, if it's not in the zeitgeist, if not everybody is celebrating that day, well, I will have a reason to avoid it and say, oh, I don't have time for that. Or, oh, I don't have time to make a New Year's. We've got to go to soccer or get the kids to bed later because we went out to dinner or whatever. But this weekend, mark my words, I am having my new New Year's to get a fresh start because with spring approaching with my new windows here at the storefront, oh my gosh, the spring windows are here, I am feeling inspired and ready to begin again. So thanks for asking, Natalie. All right, let me get back to your question. My decoration saga continues. I got the gray sofa and minty teal chairs to cool down all the cherry warms just as you suggested, and I love it. My place already looks much more modern and fresh. Now I feel I need to add a rug to connect the pieces, but I'm having the hardest time picking one that would go well with the window treatments I've had. I've had them for seven years, and I got them when we just moved in. They were called Mooney, and they do resemble canvas somewhat, but I'm starting to think it's time to let them go. I'm a little puzzled by the prospect of decorating a bay window like that. Please help Natalie. So Natalie, typically when I decorate a bay window, bay window is a window that's kind of faceted and it goes out into the world. So it juts out from your house or apartment in half a hexagonal way. How do you say half a hexagonal I, I don't know. I think you just say half a hexagon. So there's generally three panes involved and they're angled. And then the one at the back is straight. Generally how I treat that is I would put a blind on each of the bay window panels. And then outside in the main space, before the window starts to jut out, I would do one rod and I would have two panels flanking that entire bay window um, and going all the way to the floor. That way the window's the drapery on either side of the window is not very functional. It's just there to frame the window, to add aesthetic beauty. But if I were to put drapes on each of the bay window windows, well, oftentimes it encroaches too much on the window space. And then my view is compromised. Instead of seeing outside or instead of getting that beautiful natural light, I'm seeing just clusters of fabric and it feels rather oppressive and it's taking away from the beauty of that architectural detail. That's why I'd rather use blinds and have it be really simple. Now, you mentioned that you've had drapes for seven years, and I am impressed because seven years is a long time for drapes. I don't know. You mentioned that you live in Chicago. I don't know if you're in the urban section of Chicago, but windows, especially in 
big cities can get very dirty. Smog comes in, all this outside schmuck, luck, and yuck. And it coats our window ledges, but also coats our drapes. And most drapes, if you read the tags, aren't even dry cleanable. You can't wash them in any way. So you just have to swap them out for fresh options. Now you've incorporated color with these chairs and with some other elements, and I'm excited about that for you. You could draw that same color into fresh drapes if you have a neutral wall paint. Um, Or of course you could bring it into the rug because I know the rug is the thing you're really hunting for. One thing that I learned when I was an intern at Tom Felicia, and I have taken with me, uh, you know when I was an intern, I was an intern with several other interns, and they had all been to design school, and I hadn't. So I would take them out after work and say, I need to know more about what you know. What should I do in this situation? Why did Tom choose that? Why did you pick that? I wanted to get inside their head so that when I was be working with my own clients, well, I would have clarity and know what to do and be thinking like a high-end designer, even though I didn't have that training. One of the design interns said to me, her name was Katie. She was amazing and generous and wonderful, and she just opened her own design studio. But Katie told me, when in doubt, do neutral. If all else fails, if you're very stumped, well, you just can't go wrong with neutral. You could do a neutral rug. You could do neutral drapes. Then you could pop it with those accents of pillows and artwork that infuse it with that color. Even throw blankets, right? Those smaller elements that can add the flavor, while the big elements provide that neutral grounding. I have a really hard time following that advice because I love color, so I'm always seeking that patterned rug that's bold or those window treatments that will draw people's eyes to the window. And of course, a neutral is not going to make anybody stand back and say, wow, look at those solid gray drapes. But they do set that foundation and they are an easy win. Nobody's going to call you out and say, why did you do solid gray drapes? So Natalie, when all else fails, go neutral. I hope that helps. And you know what? I should even keep that in mind sometimes. Sometimes I have a little too much fun with color. Speaking of fun, I have had so much fun talking to you for this extended period today. Thank you so much for joining me. Keep these delicious questions coming. I love to answer them and think about them. And I will catch you next week. Bye. asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about.
A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.